This is our gospel reading. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not, not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, I pray that uh, the peace and grace of Jesus Christ, the one who is the word made flesh, the one who is calling himself the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, grace and peace from Jesus Christ be yours today and always. Amen. Well, we're going to be talking about John 10.10, which you just heard read, but we're going to get there first by taking a journey of life. And the journey of life that we want to take today is a journey that, that remarks and reminds us that God has given us this gift, that it's a gift that we hold precious it's a gift that he gives to each one of us. Now, I don't, I don't know how much, you think, um, how much you think about life, but I'm guessing maybe not a lot, because how much you think about life really depends on, on your age, it depends on your station of life, and it depends on your quality of life. Right? All three of those things will craft an answer to how much you, th- you think about life. And the truth is that, that you might have a different thought about life during one season of your life than you do about another season of your life. You might have certain thoughts about life when you're a certain age than you do at another age. The truth is this will change throughout your life, but you probably don't think that much about life because we oftentimes just take it for granted. We wake up in the morning and we're alive and we, we take that for granted, but maybe we shouldn't. Maybe instead we should be more awed by what life is. If I listen to the category of did you know, right? But did you know that, uh, do you know that all life as we know it, everything that we call alive, exists within a 14 mile band around planet Earth? Right? That's it. So in the entire universe, everything that we know to be alive, everything that we call alive, exists within a 14-mile band, except, except for those things which we have sent off this planet that are alive. All life as we know it exists within a 14-mile band from two miles below sea level to about 12 miles above sea level. That, that's pretty awe-inspiring to me. I, I find that pretty fascinating. In the entire universe, that's the only place where, where life as we know it exists. And so we've kind of cornered the market on life, and you think that we would understand it a lot better than we do, and you think that we would be more awed by what it is to say that we exist in this 14-mile band in the middle of the universe as the only people who are alive. It's a remarkable thing, and it's a remarkable thing that we don't think about life and that we somewhat take it for granted. And so let's not do that today. Instead, today, why don't we talk about life? As we, as we gather here today, there are some in our community and some in the community of CLC who are struggling to hold on to life, who are clinging to life with all that they have. And as we gather today, there are some in our community and some even in our community of CLC who are asking the question, how much longer do I have to endure? And people who are wishing their life away. 
You see, and both of those extremes teach us something about life. They, they, teach us, they teach us, first of all, that life is a challenge. They also teach us that life is a gift. And for us to be able to say every day of our lives, every hour of our existence, this is life, means that we first and foremost have to understand what it is. And there are different, different regions of exploration that deal with this, right? Philosophy seeks to define life. And biology seeks to explore life. And theology, theology seeks to explain life. And so that's where we are today. In that place of saying this, this is life. And life is given to us by God. In fact, in the, the epic that is the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, we read all about God's account of creating life. Right? And we look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis 2, 7, it says this, Then the Lord God formed the, out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Right? He formed a human being from the dust of the ground, that he took the earth which he had created and formed it into a structure. And we learn in this that then man, human beings, have a location, that we are located here in this ground. We are located here in this 14-mile band around planet Earth. But he didn't stop just with structure and location, but he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, thereby giving of his life that this being might become alive, that it might become a living being. And as this living being now, we not only have structure and location, but we also have relationship. We come from this ground, and we come from this God. And that alone should allow us to see life as a gift, the first gift that each one of us has been given, that you also have been knit together and have been formed. You also have had breath of life breathed into your lungs, that you are alive. You've been given life, and that is a gift. And it's something for us to celebrate. And perhaps we most treasure this gift when life is good, right? In those moments where you go, oh yeah, this is life, right? This is the goods. At that moment when you're enjoying the absolute perfect piece of cheesecake, right? Or maybe cheesecake isn't your thing. Maybe it's that perfect, that perfect cookie, right? Notice the size of the cookie, or a bowl of ice cream, the perfect bowl of ice cream where you decided to get the good stuff and not the low-fat stuff, and you're eating it and you're saying to yourself, man, this is the life. I wish this could go on forever. Or maybe it, maybe it was a season of life, a situation. Maybe for some of you it was young love. And make it, make it a romantic setting, the two of you walking arm in arm down a, down a tree-lined path and it's fall and the leaves are are dropping all around you. And in that moment, you're thinking to yourself, this is amazing. And what if it could just go on like this forever? But of course, you don't say that out loud because you don't want your significant other to think you're crazy, right? Or maybe it's when you held a child, a little baby in your hands, your own or someone else's, and you marveled the entirety of that life that was there in that child. Maybe it was a moment when, when things seemed to coalesce, when something happened, when something was able to happen, when you made sense out of something that seemed like it was being nonsensical for the rest of your life, and a group of people working on something made it all come together, and it was a moment of peace, and you said, yeah, that's the moment. This is life. Can't it go on like this forever? The Bible knows scenarios like that. 
In fact, there's an apostle that we know pretty well. His name is Peter. And Peter had a moment like that on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus takes three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. They go up a tall mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. There at the top, Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah, two men long since dead. And he meets with them, and in that moment, his clothes become whiter than any launderer could bleach them. That's what the scriptures say. And we always laugh at what Peter says next. But I think Peter was having a this is life moment. In fact, we can read about it. We can read about it in Matthew 17, 4. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Say the word, and I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Right? What's Peter saying? I, I love this moment, and I want this moment to continue. This is life. Let's keep going like this forever. But it can't. And even though we want life to continue on these mountaintops always, we know that it won't. And we know that life like this will cease. But in these moments, these moments that we experience, it's incumbent on us, we who believe that life is a gift from God, to simply say, this is life, and praise you, God, for what you've given to me. But then those moments fly away. They become fleeting. And so we realize that we also have to face life when life becomes resignation. When life, when life becomes those moments where we say, this, this isn't how I envisioned it. When life becomes those moments where you say, this, this is life? This is what it is? And in those moments, the unholy trinity wants to speak to us. The unholy trinity is sin, death, and the devil. The unholy trinity wants to speak into our lives and to tell us that our situation is hopeless and that it can never be better and that there's only one solution. And the unholy trinity will speak to us in those moments which are the most difficult, those moments of pain. Maybe you've had a moment like that already. A moment where your body seems to be giving out. A moment when there's a diagnosis. Maybe it's physical pain. Maybe it's emotional pain. Maybe it's mental pain. And in those moments, you, you find yourself crying out, this is life. Maybe it's a moment of loss. When something that you previously held dear, something, something that was close to you or someone that was close to you has suddenly been taken away. And in those moments of loss and those moments of pain, you find yourself saying, this is life. And the unholy trinity speaks to you and says, the situation is hopeless. There's only one way out. And that way is death. And so we've, we've devised plans around that. Listening to the lies of sin, death, and the devil. We've, we've concocted plans around that to end life. Abortion. Euthanasia. Suicide. Listening to those lies of the unholy trinity that tell us that death is the only thing that's going to make it better. And yet, and yet in those moments of resignation, in those moments of loss, in those moments that seem the most hopeless, it's important for us to remember that the Bible also knows these situations. And it knows them a lot. In fact, in the oldest book of the Bible, we have an account of a story but a man who experienced grief the likes of which few have ever experienced, a man named Job. And in one single day, Job, who was otherwise a very wealthy man, lost almost everything. 
As he had three messengers appear to him that day. And the first messenger came to him. And they came from a long way off and said to him, all of your camels and all of your donkeys, which were out in the fields, and all of the servants who were with them, they've all been taken and the servants have been killed. And before that message is done being given, another messenger comes. And that messenger tells him, all of your sheep, all of your livestock, everything that was out grazing has all been killed and the servants as well. All of your servants are dead. And as if that's not bad enough, before that message is done being received, a third messenger comes. And the third messenger's message is worse than the others. And the messenger, the messenger tells Job, your children were all dining together at the house of your oldest son. And a natural disaster came. And the house collapsed. And all of your children are dead. Job received all of those messages at the same time. Imagine his loss. Imagine his grief. Imagine the pain that he endured in that moment. And imagine the things that were going on in, a, in his head. The things that were telling him death is the only way out. And in that moment, we realize that things are only going to get worse because it's just a little while later that Job then begins to be afflicted in his person. Being afflicted in his physical body with sores all over. Pain within and pain without. And his wife stricken with grief, speaks to him these words, the words that come directly from the unholy trinity of sin, death, and the devil. She says to him, Job, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. She's shattered. And she believes that the only way out is death. And it's so difficult for us when we read the story of Job because the hardest part of all of this is that Job never really gets an explanation for why all these things happened. At least not a satisfactory explanation. And neither do we. We never get a satisfactory explanation for why there is loss and destruction and pain. We never get a satisfactory explanation as to why the things happen that happen. And because we don't get explanations and we hear the lies of the unholy trinity spoken to our lives, we begin to formulate explanations of our own and explanations which never fully satisfy. And so that's why it's so important for us to go back to the scriptures, to go back to the words which God speaks, to go back to the book of Job and to realize that Job is given two steadfast truths. They're two steadfast truths that are given not only for him, but for us as well. That in the midst of our pain, in the midst of those moments where we say, this is life, that God is still God. And that God is with us. And those two steadfast truths remind us of what God is doing in us and remind us that God is still the one who is in charge of life, that God is still God and that God is still with us so that even in those difficult moments of resignation, even in those difficult moments of pain and suffering, we can still say this, this is life. But perhaps there are more questions inside of us. More questions that want to call out. Why doesn't God do something about the unholy trinity of sin, death, and the devil? Why doesn't God conquer these things once and for all? And that's when we're driven to the answers. You see, that's when we're in a place where we can truly get to what God says because God shows us what life is like when we are turned toward Jesus. You see, when we are turned toward Jesus, we are reminded that he came to invade this 14-mile band around planet Earth. 
that he came himself to be dust and breath, that he came to dwell in the midst of sin, death, and the devil. And we can say, oh, well, sure. Of course, when we talk about life, we talk about the birth of Jesus because new life always reminds us that it's gift. But it's not just there that we look to life. It's instead on the cross where Jesus is dying and where Jesus is dead. And the world tells us it's hopeless. And sin, death, and the devil will tell us that it's foolish. And yet we know what the scriptures teach, that there on the cross, Jesus Christ has done something about sin, death, and the devil, that there, Jesus Christ has died to remove from us our sins, to bring us forgiveness so that sin would no longer have mastery over us. We are reminded that there on the cross, there on the cross, Jesus undoes the curse. In fact, in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, it says, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And with that, he breathed his last. He expelled from his dust the breath of life. But he doesn't stay dead. On the contrary, three days later, we can read about this in Romans 8, 11. Three days later, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is once again brought to life, drawing in the breath of life from the Holy Spirit, drawing in the breath of life, breath of life and proving that death itself is a defeated enemy, proving that his triumph is not only over sin and death, but over the devil himself. Because now, through Jesus Christ, the gates of everlasting life are open, that Jesus Christ has come to do something about the unholy trinity, that Jesus Christ has come. He has come because the thief, the devil, seeks to destroy life. You see, that's Jesus' mission in the first place, and that's what he speaks to us about in John chapter 10, verse 10. In John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And did you notice it's progressive? To steal. And as if that's bad enough, not bad enough, he comes to kill. And as if that's not bad enough, he comes to destroy. But then Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life and life to the full. Jesus comes because the thief seeks to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus comes because he is the good shepherd who protects and preserves life. Jesus comes because he is the way to everlasting life that we would dwell with him in eternity in a place where there will be no more pain or devastation or loss, but in a place where we will dwell in perfect relationship with our heavenly father. It's what we see in Jesus Christ is a new way to speak it and to say in Jesus, this is life. And so how do we live? We who so often take life for granted, how do we live, you and me? We, we live celebrating the times when life is good, cherishing those moments that God gives us as a gift. We live enduring those times that are challenging and walking together through them. We live reminding each other of the lies of the unholy trinity, of the promise that God makes to us. We live each day to the full, remembering what Jesus Christ has given to us, remembering the life that is ours in him and the life that is given to the full. We live each day, every day. We live to eternity, rejoicing that God has chosen us to live in this 14-mile band around planet Earth. 
to be given this precious gift of life and the new gift, the breath of the Holy Spirit breathed into us that makes us eternal. And that God has called us every day and that every day we celebrate what he has done for us, that we have structure and location and relationship. And that every day in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, every day in Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, every day we can say, this is life. In Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.